What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Shit Podcast. This is Teaching to the Creed, Module 1.0, Leadership and Tradition. Uh, I did this episode with BMC Phil Null from They Had to Go Out Podcast, and he was also on episode 43. So if you want to learn more about him and his background, go ahead and go back and listen to that episode. Phil is an awesome dude. I'm a really big fan of his work with They Had to Go Out, but also just he's been on a bunch of other podcasts and interacted with a lot of the same people that I have. And in doing that, I've I've gotten to learn a lot about his leadership perspective. And uh, I really like the way that his mind works. And I love their focus on their podcasts in particular on Coast Guard heritage. They The whole premise of the platform is them sharing the stories of the people that had to go out, right? The, the Coast Guard heroes. Um, and some of them are just everyday guardsmen that do the job of saving people. That's the mission of the Coast Guard. And some of them are the no joke, like service cross winning guardsmen that have gone out and done crazy things and come back alive to tell about it. And it's really cool that they use their platform the way that they do uh, to share those stories uh, with the guardsmen that are in service today. They get to learn about what happened before them and that's kind of that's one of the focuses of this episode and that's one of the reasons why i thought phil would be so perfect uh for this gig and so i hope you guys enjoy the conversation uh that we got to have i know i did and i think you'll get a lot out of it go through the front matter for this lesson first so upon completion of this block of instruction the student will have a clear understanding of the necessity of leadership in a dynamic environment Understand advocacy of the traditions of the Navy Chief Petty Officer leadership and trust behaviors within the organization. The student will be equipped with skills necessary to apply and adapt to the diverse environments at different command levels and determine its relationship within the Chief Petty Officer's creed. Objectives, discuss and analyze trust as it relates to the CPO creed. Analyze and discuss the relationship of advocacy, tradition, and trust and how it relates to chief petty officers in leading juniors, peers, and senior personnel. Discuss the evolution of change in initiation and the charge book as it pertains to being a chief petty officer. And discuss how to develop trust in the mess. The curriculum development references are laying to the key, laying the keel, May 2019, and Navy Leader Development Framework version 3.0, also May 2019. And with that, uh, here we go. All right. So real quick, I'm going to recap the objectives. So we're going to discuss and analyze trust as it relates uh, to the CPO creed, analyze and discuss the relationship of uh, tradition. We're, we're doing tradition and leadership. I'm reading off of, we split this one into, into two separate podcasts. So we'll be talking about uh, leadership and tradition and how it relates to the chief petty officer in our ability to lead up, down and laterally across the organization discuss evolution of change and initiation in the charge book as it pertains to the chief petty officer and then discuss how to develop trust in the mess. We'll hit a lot of those things just as tertiary things, but the focus for this one is leadership and tradition because we've, I've already done a whole podcast on advocacy and trust. So I'm going to read the excerpt uh, from the creed that we are focused on for this lesson. So during the course of initiation, you have been caused to humbly accept challenge and face adversity. This you have accomplished with rare good grace. Pointless as some of these challenges may have seemed, there were valid, time-honored reasons behind each pointed barb. Your faith and fellowship of chief petty officers was necessary to overcome these hurdles. The goal was to instill in you that trust is inherent with the donning of the uniform of the chief. So um, as we always, it's pretty much the first question is kind of what does that mean to you? But the the one for this is like uh, why define the creed? 
because this is one of the earlier lessons and it's the first time we're defining it. Like what's the point of, of defining what we're reading? Like, what do you see? What value do you see in that? One thing, I mean, I guess if you read it, uh, you know, read it at just face value, it's, uh, it's definitely targeted solely to people that are pinning on the anchor, right? It's not, right. Uh, not necessarily to anybody else, but, um, you know, like you and I have discussed, there's a ton of, ton of, uh, the qualities that we want to, you know, have throughout the, our time as a senior enlisted leader. What I've always noticed, like most impactful, uh, like you said, one, it just sounds good, right? There, yeah. <laughs> there's a, there's just a good sound to it, which is, I mean, that, that's important, right? Cause it gets people to buy into it, uh, no, no matter kind of what the, the content is. But, um, you know, we read it at every advancement ceremony, every frocking ceremony, all chiefs gather, all chief. I, I, I know the Navy does a lot differently than the Coast Guard, but right. in the Coast Guard, it might be a group of basically whatever chiefs you can pull together in some remote area. For example, in Maine, mm-hmm. I mean, there's probably three units that are within yeah. a three hour drive of each other, and that's it. So you might have like six chiefs there, but you know, having those six chiefs gather, incredibly impactful, reading the creed, incredibly impactful because it shows kind of solidarity with the you know, with what it says, the, the content of it. Right. Um, and yeah, you know, like, um, I think there's just a lot of reminders in it, I guess, a challenge, you know, each day you're going to be faced with challenging, uh, adversity, uh, confront those with dignity and good grace that you've demonstrated to, to get you where you're at. I think it also builds a little confidence by telling you, uh, you know, that you are a senior enlisted leader with experience, uh, tons of uh, performance doing the job uh, you've been tested and you were advanced in this selection process and not everybody is. So there's it, a, I think do you, you think, bring down each one that. Yeah. Goes. I was gonna say, do you think like the, cause what's funny is that I'm look when I look at the instructor guy, it says why define the creed and possible answer expectation and alignment. Do you think, yeah. do you think it's, it's a good thing that we have to define it? Like it's not just something cause like, in my research of creeds and my discussions, which is weird because as I've recorded these podcasts, I'm recording the first one last right now. Like this is the very last one. And so I've, I, at this point I've talked about it a bunch of times. Um, but it's, this is the first one. If you listen to them in order, as far as, um, I've talked a lot about creed being like um, almost like a mission statement. Like this is what, or who we are and what we do. Right. And when you read the creed with no definition or, or explanation or conversation, do you, do you come away from it with that in mind or do we have to define it so that like those gray areas that may or may not exist are, are clarified? Yeah, I would say it's, a, I, I get, I would say it's a solid foundation for someone that's being pinned. Right. I think as you like progress in it and you, you know, you learn more about how the whole system works um, and, and the authority that you do have, the influence that you do have. Yeah. I don't think it really functions. It doesn't meet the function that you're you're looking for. Uh, still a lot of good content in there. A lot of things that people I think definitely benefit being reminded of. Yeah. But you know, as far as like a creed that you could rattle off, that's the way I always look at a creed, right? It'd be something yeah. that you could hopefully like quote from memory. I, I don't know anybody that can quote creed from memory. I don't I, know. If that's yeah. Can, at this point, having done <laughs> all the like things, things, right? well, not still, I mean, I can quote excerpts, right? Like, and I don't even mean that whole paragraph that I just read. I mean, like I can, there's those, there's those highlights, you know, where it's like, you're talking about uh time, time on a reason before, uh, <laughs> I can't even quote it behind each point of barb. Like there's those lines in it 
that uh, jump out and that I can quote those off the top of my head or at least paraphrase them. But yeah, I mean, I can't record, I can't recite it off the top of my head. So some of the lines that are most impactful too are because it is geared for that guy that's or girl that's getting uh, getting advanced or frocked. Right. Because like in the Coast Guard, you know, where it talks about um, that you're going to wear the hat. Right. I mean, that's like the moment when the hat goes on. Yeah. The, uh, you know, the selectee or whoever's being advanced. So, you know, you, you kind of like uh, it's like you ingrain the wrong things. Right. The things that are uh, that are done at the advancement ceremony, but not necessarily applicable to to who you need to be as a chief. Yeah. So through your lens, like when analyzing yourself, because when these questions are asked during the facilitation of the lesson plan, there's a bunch of selectees in the room, but like through your lens, do you think you're aligned with aligned with the creed? Because it says as selectees, but I, I mean, I'm, we're, everything is in relation to creed. So do you think you're aligned with the CPO creed? I'd say I'll try to live up to it every day. How about that? Yeah, I was um, going to say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think my, uh, you know, I think it, we're, like you said, the uh, the answer, you know, in the instructor guide is expectation and alignment. Yeah. I think that's what I look for, right, is if, uh, if you ever do need that that inspiration, and, and luckily for, for us in the Coast Guard, it doesn't come once a year. We get it, you know, as any chief is, is added to that advancement list, which could be throughout the year. Yeah. You know, we get kind of a regular update to it right like every every couple of months you're, you're hearing it again and you're seeing somebody advanced and oh okay uh, so you, you guys don't do it all at once no 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 okay it, uh, it definitely I did not comes, know that. comes in spurts so okay we uh i think maybe that's a good thing about the coast guard is it does serve as like a a regular reminder right? yeah. you get to see this advancement ceremony and you get to hear what the expectation is that you need to align you know your own uh your own actions to yeah, I like that, that it's like it's not just because I feel like that would almost create a culture of where you're you're consistently training and educating and thinking about it all the time because you have to like because it's a necessity because this is going to come up like six, seven times a year. I like that idea. So, uh, yeah, same same for me. I like just strive to be every day. And it's like there are parts of it that uh, when I when I analyze it, there's parts of it that when I see certain words, I'm like, ah, I wish that wasn't there. But then I try to think about what the original exalted. It's exalted, yeah, isn't it? I hate that. Yeah, yeah. I knew <laughs> that, that was the word that you didn't like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and um, pr- privilege is probably second, but it's like, and when I discussed that uh, it, during the lesson that that excerpt came up, it was more like a. I, I tried to put myself in the shoes of the person constructing or persons constructing the creed when, when they did. And it was just like, what did they mean when they wrote it? And I, I'm like, like the privilege to, to lead sailors is the privileges that they're talking about. Like the privilege of being the person that's in a position to take care of sailors. That has to be what they mean. They, they didn't mean parking spots and like Gucci offices and stuff. They couldn't have meant that. And so I'm just like, I, I, when I hear chief privileges, I think about the negative stuff and then I got to like put myself in checks. I'm like, there's no way that's what they meant. I mean, when this was written, which I still got to do research on, I re- I'm, I'm going to try to figure that out before the last, uh, I record the acceptance episode, but, um, let's well, always wonder if like, you know, it, some of it sounds like it might've been written in a bar. Some of it sounds like it might've been written in the, <laughs> you know, in the office, but then yeah. to your point, right. With, uh, you know, the exalts position you have achieved and then they mm-hmm. even add a caveat, like, uh, yeah. exalted is used advisedly so you right? knew you shouldn't have used that word but you did yeah. it anyway <laughs> yeah somebody used somebody used exalted and then somebody else went back and was like ah we're gonna, we're gonna add a little caveat yeah yeah um yeah and so the the as far as the lombardi video goes like so i i struggled with when i did the last the, when i split it into two and i did the last ones like did you get a chance to watch a video 
I did. I, I okay. watched it a couple of times. Okay, so the I don't I struggled to relate it to it, it pertaining to the creed, but I, I'm going to ask you the questions anyway. Uh, so it's talking about how does the quote uh, pertain to leadership in the Navy or the Coast Guard? And then how is success measured? And that quote being at the bottom of the slide, it said the only place success comes before work is in the dictionary. So how, how do you uh, how, how do you think that quote relates to leadership uh, and tradition in the Navy and how is success measured? Yeah, I think I, I mean, I think what they're trying to get at for at least the CPO level is mm-hmm. that, um, you know, particularly that level rise deck deck play leaders. Yeah. I mean, the job is to be out there and do the job. You're not you're not the top level strategic leader that's, that's right. generating strategy and all this stuff. I mean, your job is to go out train the people to take your place that are going to be performing the job in harm's way and, you know, actually, you know, put themselves at risk for the most part. Right. That's, that's the way I've always taken it in the coast guard. So I think, um, I think it pertains, I think it's just a good reminder. Yeah. Maybe not the best one. Right. But, uh, (laughs) You know, for Vince Lombardi to throw, I did, yeah, the, a good reminder. The Lombardi thing was what I like, and not I don't have anything against Vince Lombardi. I just had a hard time linking that to what we do every day. But I, I get where they're going with it, especially like coming back to it now after because I did the first episode of 1.0 a while ago, and it's just like I, I look at it like um, it, it sounds like something that you'd say to your sailors, like when you're trying to motivate your junior sailors, like you want to succeed, like put the work in. Right. I imagine I've said some version of that to a group of junior sailors a whole bunch of times. And so when I think about that, I think about it not only through the lens of, of what I would say to a junior sailor and what I meant by that, but also like what I gotta, I gotta think that to myself being in the position of a chief select, like, like, okay. Cause I tell, I say all the time, like, Hey, congratulations on your selection. The hard part starts on pinning. Like, like you think right. you arrived <laughs> surprise, like <laughs> the hard part just started shipmate. So it's like, we're talking about it like through that lens where you got to go into this knowing that it's like, this is a challenge. There will be adversity. There will be all those things. The creed effectively is warning you of and trying to let you know, like, Hey, hard part starts today. Like this isn't, you've arrived and you've all the work you put in up to this point, which you should be proud of. And it did get you here. And it really, the the success, your sailors that you led had got you here, but it's like, now that you're here, don't think that it's time to put your feet up and pour a cup of coffee and sit in the mess and not do anything. Like that's not like, that's not how this goes at all. It's it in fact is the complete opposite. And the hard part starts on the day you get pinned. So. Yeah, I totally agree with that, man. I think that's, you know, one of the hardest things, at least uh, on our side, to do is to uh, to tamp down that, that attitude, that exalted attitude that people might get. Um, yeah. Because, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you're if you're living that exalted life, you're definitely not doing what you're being paid to do. Um, yeah. And that's, that's to be that deck plate leader. So it says, what factors of tradition is Coach Lombardi trying to convey? I'm just going to, like, <laughs> what factors of tradition do you think are important in relation to a chief? Like, so one thing that I, 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 like, I'm really passionate about heritage and, like, I collect historical, uh, like, objects and stuff. <laughs> like, like, I'm a real nerd about it. And, uh, I like, I'm curious to hear uh, not just, like, what factors of tradition kind of factor in, but especially from, like, the Coast Guard side of the house, like, how does how is tradition built into the chief's mess on you guys' uh, in you guys' service? Man, the Coast Guard tradition is is varied and vast, uh, a lot more so than the Navy, right? The the Navy when it was formed was just the Navy and carried mm-hmm. on as the Navy. And the Coast Guard, you've got three predecessor services that still kind of operate that way. 
just jointly now. You've got a ton of other services that kind of came together at different times throughout the uh, throughout the years. Yeah. So in the Coast Guard, I think the the tradition really, I, I guess the you know the most major one is that we're always told that the uh, the overarching mission is to save lives, right? No matter if right. you're doing law enforcement, security, search and rescue, whatever it is, like you're saving lives. So that's the ultimate tradition. And I know everybody buys into that, uh, yeah. you know, in the service. Uh, from there, it's really like a community kind of thing. So that's where I think a lot of value comes in to with uh, promoting tradition among the chiefs, yeah. especially as we take on like new, more specialized ratings. If, if we lose the history of the community of work that we came from, then it's not around anymore. I mean, that's, right. that's just the truth to it, right? Like if you, if you lose that, uh, you know, you, you know, for a fact, I host a podcast called they had to go out, right. Yeah. And they had to go out that, that phrase used to be a, uh, you know, a mantra that, that the U S lifesaving service predecessor to the coast guard used. And it's went out of fashion with risk management, risk assessment and everything, but it's still, kind of a way of life right it's yeah. still a, a mental model that people try to mold themselves after when the call comes in i won't say risk be damned because people still you know we want to get everybody home right but we are going to find a way to get out there and help people yeah yeah we, we might not go out you know there might be like some different things that happen but we are going to help these people yeah and so that's, I guess that's that'd be my point yeah just trying yeah. to definitely communities of work uh, are huge in the coast guard. Yeah. And I was going to say too, like, I know you guys affect like effectively your focus. Um, I mean, you're, you're sponsored by the coast guard museum. Like your focus is telling the stories of the people who went out. Right. So I wonder like, how do you, how do you use that as like a tool for like a leadership tool? Cause I like, I've always found it's extremely motivating to junior sailors to kind of, leverage the parts especially of their story that they identify with so with us we're like there's a lot of sub communities so like submarines is because i'm a submariner and being a culinary specialist which used to be mess management specialist which used to be a commissaryman and officer stewards and, and ships cooks all the way back in like the days of sail right so it's like using the stories of all those people it's like look you're not just a, a culinary specialist on a ship like you're part of this story like and you talk about dory miller and leonard Harmon and william pinckney and the six medal of honor winners and all those things and it's just like oh okay i'm not just a cook on a ship like i'm not just punching a clock doing one of the most like thankless jobs in the navy there's a there's a history and heritage that comes with this i'm part of that story now i'm i'm doing it in in places and uh, like, and there's a lot more to a sailor's job than just their, their specialty. Right. And I, I imagine that's probably universally true across all the services. It's like you're a soldier first, you're a Marine first, you're a guardsman first. Right. I didn't forget about airmen. I just, <laughs> but, well, yeah, I mean, like, like, it seems like there's all there that that translates across all services. So like, how do you use like Coast Guard heritage and tradition as like a leadership tool? Yeah. I, two things to your question. So, so first I think, you know, you said an uh, like an airman first, uh, a coast guardsman first. I, I, we definitely have that, right? Like you're definitely yeah. in the coast guard. I do feel though that in the coast guard, usually the uh, the comment like "remember that you're in the military" comes out when you're doing something wrong. You know, it's not like like people. Sometimes I think people uh, in the coast guard have a uh, have a hard time identifying as military on occasion, depending on what really? rating and, and okay. job they're in. Yeah, I, I totally believe that. I think there's a lot of. Uh, we have a lot of non-traditional military missions, uh, yeah. no doubt about it. So it, it can get a little, little complex at times, I think. Right. Um, but that said, the uh, yeah, have you interviewed Jeff Bayless for one of these, uh, one of yeah. these discussions? Yeah, we yeah, did. I mean, uh, Jeff, humility. 
Yeah, Shocking. Oh, perfect, man. Perfect. <laughs> perfect. So, so Jeff and I are both mates, you know, and yeah. uh, definitely the greatest rate in any seagoing. Oh, calm down. A doubt. Calm down. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I used to work at the uh, the Coast Guard's most made A school, and during yeah. the government shutdown, when none of our guys were getting paid, I mean, people were just dragging around this base, looking, you know, yeah. just dejected and awful, right? And at the end of the day, you know, it's just trying to look a w- look at a way to motivate them because mm-hmm. I don't do it for the money. I don't think yeah. most of these guys do it for the. We do it, you know, we we have to get paid, right? Right. We have to survive, but nobody does it for the money if they stay in it long enough. Um. So that's that's kind of why we started telling stories, just to find yeah. find these cool, exciting stories to to build it back. Like, guys, you're not doing this for the money. I know it sucks right now. We're gonna get through it. Everybody get paid if we don't. Right. We'll find new jobs, but. You know, the, the consensus is we will be paid at some point. Yeah. So just keep doing your jobs and, and do the best that you can. So that's really what it was born out of. And I think, uh, yeah, you know, it's cool that it came from a couple of chiefs. I don't think it had to come from chiefs. It could have came from, right. you know, anybody. We just happened to be in a position to to kind of see all this happening, to be some real proponents of the rating and of yeah. the tradition of the rating and that certain mission set that, uh, you know, we were interested enough to make it happen. Yeah, no, and it's awesome, man. I love it. I I've, I love that that tool exists. Just like like I get feedback for for this podcast. It's kind of similar where it's like like there's no, I've never been able to find anything like this. Thank God you're doing it. And like I imagine you get similar responses to where it's just like because I don't even know because I have the Navy History and Heritage Command. I don't need, where where do you go for like if if I wanted to just do research independently and learn about my my own history? Is there like a vault like the Navy History and Heritage Command or is it just like <laughs> you guys are sharing the story. Like, I mean, you got the Coast Guard Museum, so there's that, obviously, but... Uh, sure, we have a historian's office, too, kind of a one-man oh, nice. show. And it's pretty cool if you... Uh, this one guy that does it, um, if you look at his... Uh, his name's Dr. Thiessen, Will Thiessen. Okay. Um, but uh, Naval History mu- uh, Magazine, published by the U.S. Naval Institute. Mm-hmm. If you ever look through there and look for a Coast Guard article on Coast Guard history, mm-hmm. I, I 80% chance this guy wrote it. <laughs> and uh, he's been doing blog posts and, and all awesome. kinds of stuff for, for decades now. But yeah, he's a, he's a great resource. And then I think too, like, you know, sometimes the veterans pages, right. You never, especially yeah. in the coast guard, you never know what people are doing right. on a given day. Yeah. yeah. And they just come up with photos and stories, man. And, yeah. Like, those are the best ones. I feel like too, where it's like, you're never going to, you're not going to see a book on what, like some crazy experience that happened to a sailor or a guardsman, like where it, it's just like a daily thing, but it's like this crazy thing that happened and they took a lot out of it. Maybe it changed them forever. Maybe it's just hilarious, whatever. Like those are the funnest conversations that I have on here where it's just like, you get to, you get to learn about or hear about these stories that are just like the everyday experience of a sailor doing their thing on a ship or like, I talked to Nick and he's like doing EOD things, or I talked to the spec war tech doing NSW things. And it's like, they just tell these stories that you're not going to be able to read about anywhere else. You're just going to hear them directly from them and you can get a lot out of them. So like, that's, what's really cool too. When you guys share those stories, it's just like, yeah, I mean the, the sights, awesome. the sounds and the feelings, right. Yep. That's what I always want to hear. That's what people yep. want to know about sights, sounds, feelings. So when we're talking about the Lombardi thread, it's talking about, uh, this happened so long ago. Did it create a tradition or a belief? 
I mean, I've never been trained Vince Lombardi. Since yeah. I've been in the Coast Guard, but I, you know, when I, I'm sure, I'm sure that he's got some devotees. I'm just not one of them. Yeah. And it's like, I don't, I feel like he was developing beliefs. I mean, yeah, like his traditions, I, there were traditions probably associated with football and all that other stuff, but I can't, I imagine he was leveraging like his ability to create belief in the people following him. How does it pertain to leadership in the Navy? I'm going to skip because I think that we've already answered that. Um, yeah, all three of those are kind of weird questions. Yeah, they're really bizarre yeah. questions and the whole Lombardi thing. Every I did, Last time I did the, the 1.0 with uh, Jason Thompson, also a business mate, coincidentally. Um, <laughs> he, uh, same thing. We both, we got caught up and just clunkily like tripped through that section. It was just, it's just weird, not a place. Uh, so the, what, like the last question I, I like asking it, but I hate the concept of leadership styles and I'll get to that when I talk, but what is your leadership style and does it work all the time? Yeah, I'm with you, man. I've done, uh, you know, the Myers Briggs and, and all yeah. the, uh, you know, the different, um, styles and personality tests and everything i to be honest i think if if you're going to be a an effective chief right if you're going to do the right thing for your people and be the right person for your organization then you're just a servant leader i mean that's what it comes down to are you are you serving the people that look to you for guidance are you serving the the public are you serving the coast guard or the navy I think that's what you have to be. I don't, I don't think there's any option to be another style. You just have to be a servant leader. If you're anything else, you're probably ineffective to be honest. And I don't even, I don't even think that's a a style. I think it's more of like, like a a foundation or like an ideology that you build on. And because if you go into it as a servant leader, because you have to, because your whole purpose in life is to take care of these sailors or guardsmen or, or Marines or whoever, so that they can take care of the mission. And in doing that, I'm going to give them whatever they need at the time, not what they want, what they need. And I'm going to do that by adapting like whatever approaches I need to, to best get through to them. Right. So like I'm going to communicate with one sailor a totally different way than I'm going to communicate with another one and another one. Cause I'm going to analyze them and see like, what, what way do they best receive communication? What motivators do they have that I can leverage to get them to go the direction I want them to? What problems do they have that I can solve and how will I go about solving them based on like analyzing their personality? How will they best receive it? What do they need? And so it's like, I mean, you could call it a style, I guess, but I just, I've, I've grown to loathe the concept of leadership styles because I hate when people are like, oh yeah, my personality trait is best suited to this leadership style. And every, it's like, what, everybody's supposed to just get in line and conform to that? Like, it's insane. <laughs> it's insane. If you want to get the best out of the group of people that you're responsible for leading in one direction towards one thing, which is mission accomplishment, you need to approach it in that exact way where you're like a chameleon, like you do whatever they need. And sometimes it's going to be really uncomfortable. Sometimes it's not even me. Like I, like I, there are things that I just suck at because like you said, I did a Myers-Briggs test and it told me a bunch of things about myself that, I mean, I still have that thing in a filing cabinet and it's like, it, it showed me where my weaknesses and strengths were. So if I find myself in a position where I've had scenarios where I have a sailor that best responds to having a conversation with a female chief, I'm going to go get a female chief. I can't, that's not something I can do. Like there's just situations where, or somebody that's been through an experience, right? Like I had somebody reach out to me for advice about going back to sea early and they're a surface sailor. I I don't know. Like I have some experience 
that can like, I can kind of give you some advice, but I'm like, I, I immediately went through the, my mental Rolodex and was like, get a hold of this chief. She's been in the position you're in. She's been on the platforms that you've been on. She can explain all of this thing to you in graphic detail and having gone through it and then having been on the other side of it, been promoted already, done all the things that you're trying to do. Is it going to hurt you? Is it going to not hurt you? Like I, I can give you like a general description because like I have a, I have like very overall overarching general visibility on what I'm being asked, but I'm not the expert. I'm not the best person to lead that sailor in that moment. So I'm going to go through the mental Rolodex and leverage the network like we're supposed to, but it's all like, for me, it's just give them what they need. Like I, and if, if I have to, to like alter my approach to do that, then that's what I'm going to do. If I have to go outside of the lifelines of, of me and my work center, then that's what I'm going to do. 100%, man. I think that's the, the whole purpose of the network. And, you know, I've heard people before say like, oh, that's the kinder, gentler Coast Guard or, or whatever. I mean, yeah. serving others doesn't mean that they don't need discipline from time to time or don't need to be right. held accountable. And, you know, like all that's serving others. Like we don't yeah. want to see people get hemmed up, right? If we got to hem them up at a lower level so they're not getting hemmed up at a higher level, then that's what happens. Right. Um, and then, I think that's all serving others. Yeah. And I feel like anybody that comes at it with that type of a, of an outlook is, <laughs> I mean, and this is going to sound harsh, but I, it's like, it's lazy and, and cowardice. Like, you know what I mean? It's like laziness yep. and cowardice from a leadership perspective where it's like, you're just comfortable in like using the one style that best suits your personality and makes you comfortable that you're, you're, you're in command or of the situation or whatever. And, and that they just need to adapt to you. And it's like, look, if I want to succeed, I was just doing this thing for college last night uh, where I had watched this video about Sun Tzu. And it was like using a bunch of historical examples for like why Sun Tzu is such a genius and why all his lessons work. Right. And it was basically talking about attrition warfare, like, and how it's stupid and doesn't work where it was like somebody with a bigger force is going to attack because they're strong and they think they can just overwhelm them with, with the power of their war fighting capacity, right? Instead of being clever and using deceit and strategy and all these things to commit as the minimum required resources and like incur the minimum amount of risk and losses, by just being smart and still winning, you know what I mean? Like, right, and that's what sure. I'm about is like, what's the best, what's the best, most efficient path to victory here as far as take getting, getting the sailor, whatever they need to succeed. And, and cause really all this whole discussion is about mission accomplishment. And that's what you'll get from a, a leader that is saying those things. It's like, well, I'm just about mission accomplishment. I'm just going to, charge forward and push and we're going to do it my way or the highway or whatever they say. Right. And it's just like, I'm about mission accomplishment too, except I want every single sailor to reach their absolute ceiling. If that's possible for output, I want to motivate them to contribute to mission accomplishment at their absolute peak. And if it, it, like the way that I'm going to do that is by ad- adjusting to them. Like I, it, cause it makes sense. It's the only way <laughs> that I'm going to yeah, get man, them a- are you going to accomplish the mission or are you going to crush it? You know, like right. you crush it, let's crush it, whatever it takes to, to crush it, you know, right. like, so that, uh, you know, people are, you know, hopefully on the back end, right. People are getting attaboys, awards yeah. and, and whatever else, because you did that good of a job. Right. Yeah. That's I, I, I really think that should be the goal. Yeah. For sure. Um, all right. So uh, leading into some questions about tradition. Uh, so like, and again, I split these out. So I'm only going to ask you, 
two of them, I think, uh, off of this slide. So do you trust in our traditions or do you trust in the Chiefs mess? I'd say traditions first, Chiefs mess second, I guess. Yeah, I, I mean, and it's like what it depends on what you mean by Chiefs mess. Do you mean the people? Do you mean the organization? Like, I, it's kind of weirdly worded. Well, and what, it probably is on it, purpose. That's what I tie the traditions to yeah. the organization as a whole, the CPO mess to just the mess, right? Well, I mean, one of yeah. the traditions in itself is how people interact with Chiefs and what they yeah. expect from Chiefs. So I was going to um, say, like, how do you feel about the con? Like, in my mind, when I read it the first time, I'm like, it, isn't the CPO mess a tradition? essentially like the right. way that we do it differently from other services. You know what I mean? Like I, the army doesn't do this. <laughs> Marine yeah, Corps doesn't they do gotta this. be talking about people. I think, I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's all I could think from the way that that question's framed. Yeah. I, I would put, and I think our, that's, that's all in, you know, the other thing is at least for us, it's like almost regional or like command, you know, per command. So, I mean, you never know who you're going to be saddled with. Right. And you, right. you work through the problems hopefully <laughs> and you, you know, but I mean, some guys you, you trust with everything, right? And other people yeah. you, you might trust a, a vote. I don't know. I, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it, it's hard to tell. So it's, it's also like, I trust that I trust in the traditions, but I'm not afraid to question them because I feel like there are times where they may be slightly misguided or they, we could just be better or, or improved upon or whatever. Um, but a lot of times they're, they're like a traditional thing. It's like, it's, I mean, with the exception of the analysis of initiation season, um, uh, there's not a lot of them that are like super out there. It's just like a thing we do to honor the past. And, and I like, okay, so I trust in those because it, I like to pass the heritage on and I like to maintain those things as a, as a sense of pride for the people doing the job. But then like trusting in the, in the mess as an organization, it's like, it's kind of the same thing where it's like, I trust that it's okay for us to ask, how can we do this better? You know what I mean? Like, cause there's certain yeah, traditions sure. that are, if they're good, which may, is what defines them as a tradition, it's like, I, of course I trust the Like, I'm, I don't even know yeah, why yeah, I need you, to trust guys, the tradition. Like, you guys have chief calls, right? Chiefs. Calls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I would consider a chief's call a tradition, right? But the way that maybe the way that it's held every day could absolutely change. You know, you could totally improve on. Yeah. whatever uh you know the maybe the format of the meeting who's talking you know who's allowed to have the floor that kind of thing yeah and that's kind of what i when i was taking notes i just wrote both they're completely different things like i just yeah, i don't understand, sure. why those, I like <laughs> I understand why those are related at all um but it's and then it says give examples of who who and what you trust and i think we've accomplished that i mean i like yeah i, I think the organization is is generally self-correcting even though it can take a really long time and Sometimes there's a lot, there is a lot of outcry in relation to change when it does come, when we are trying to better ourselves. Like when they first established CPO 365, like, oh my God, everybody lost their mind, especially the old crusty retired guys. They were just like, oh, all these, you know, kind of like kindly gentler stuff you were talking about earlier. They were just like, you're gutting the tradition and heritage and blah. And it's like, no, we're not like, <laughs> like if you really take the time to analyze it, they're just like, formalizing it and making it more professional so that we don't constantly have incidents of hazing or just anything that is going to get the season like stopped or taken away from us, like to be able to do the things that we do that are good, that are like the healthy parts of the tradition. So, yeah. Hey, speaking, um, speaking of tradition, I'm just curious, yeah. like I, I just saw something the other day that kind of came up. Have you seen that uh, the new attributes for the joint enlisted professional? You guys uh, seen that? 
Have you started that thing yet? No, I have not. It's got like knowledge, skills, leadership attributes, and outcomes, character, attributes confidence, and commitment. For the, attributes for the joint enlisted individual? Is yeah. that what it's called? No, yeah, I haven't seen that. Well. Or joint enlisted force, I guess it could be either one. We'll have to check that out. Yeah, just talking about, uh, you know, upending traditions or whatever. I don't know. It seems um, definitely going to be a new tradition, it looks like. Interesting. I'll have to check Pretty that out. Though. There you go. It looks yeah, like you just sure. sent to me. All right. Yeah, yeah. no, I'll check it out because that's that's right, really man. interesting. I'm, I'm curious to see how they how they approach that. Have you ever asked your sailors or, in your case, your guardsmen for their blind faith? You know, so I was thinking about this question whenever I was reading through the outline. Yeah. I think in my role, we have two different kinds of communication. Mm-hmm. There's, uh, there's, you know, like your, your standard communication, uh, you know, communicating a work list, whatever. Yeah. And then you have like crisis communications, right? Right. I definitely in crisis times, I have absolutely requested the blind faith of people and probably sometimes like, um, you know, to their peril almost, but, uh, but luckily everything's worked out. Yeah. But I do think, I do think there's a little bit of blind faith in, uh, at least in crisis when, um, when you kind of have to rely on people that are experienced and in certain positions to just make decisions and everybody else just shut up and fall in line. You know, I don't know. I was For sure. Yeah, yeah. And that, yeah, I, I, I look at it the same way. It's like there, there are times where, and it might not even be like crisis life and death level, but like crisis in that like, like deployment food loads for me is a, is a hectic time. It's stressful. There's a lot going on and I'm reliant on a lot of outside entities to get it done. Right. So like if I'm about to lose crane support, if the, the contractors that were helping us do stuff are about to roll out because of whatever, it's like, I got to go juggle those flaming chainsaws and it's very, it's going to be time sensitive. So I might direct somebody to go to a certain place or do a certain thing or whatever. Um, but then, yeah, when you get into like safety stuff or like, I mean, we're underway on nuclear power and something's on fire. Like, yeah, if I'm directing you to do stuff as a man in charge of a, of an area <laughs> that's dealing with that casualty, you're not, we're not going to debate <laughs> me directing a right. fire team to go to location, whatever, you know, like, so it's just, it, yeah, there's definitely times and a lot of it, there's a, like you've built trust over time when you're not in crisis mode, hopefully, like if you're doing it right, if you're, yeah, and it, <laughs> you're investing I, I in those relationships, they're probably not following you in that moment anyway. <laughs> you know, like a, yeah. you might just be holding on to that point. I think it's important to always circle back around. You know, if you do ask for somebody's on blind faith, circle back around whenever it's uh, safe right. to do so, or you got the time and be like, hey, this is why it was the way it was during that time. Yeah. Um, let's debrief, you know, what do yeah, you got to do better? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I definitely, or, or like there's times like where, cause in, in the communication of like, Hey, I need you to do this right now and not ask questions. I may be snapping at them to like, when I'm a top side line handler and we're mooring a nuclear submarine, like if you put your hand in the wrong place, I'm going to snap at you. And it's because I want you to understand that you're in danger of losing your fingers or hand, not that, I have like, I'm not mad at you. Like, I just want you to be safe and I want you to go home with all your fingers and toes. And so it's like, I'll explain when I can, cause I'm also in the middle of a mooring evolution that if I take my eye off the ball, something else bad could happen. So it's like when the ship is safely moored and there's no more like peril, if I'm not paying attention, then that's like, like, Hey man, I'm sorry. I snapped to you, but you can't put your hand there. This is why the line could do this or whatever. Um, 
and, and making sure that they understand that for next time instead of just being like mad at me because a lot of times junior sailors so like they just take everything personally because they look up to oh, the people sure. yeah yep. they look up to you so it's like if you just snap at them and then don't explain it then they're just gonna be mad at you and they're oh, he hates me or he's mean it's like no like the, like i did that so that because i want you to be safe not because i was angry with you or and i'm not harboring any ill will you know it's just making sure that you understand the danger there um, so what happens when you abuse blind faith or tradition? I've seen it, you know, like I've seen guys who, uh, who were just by virtue of their position thought that they could, you know, order everyone around without doing that kind of circle, circle back type thing or, yeah. uh, never any, um, never any debrief, never, never any input from anyone else. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just toxic. I mean, it ends up being toxic. Everyone hates you. And, uh, not that, you know, not that everybody's got to like you. Right. But at the end of the day, uh, it does help, uh, I think with your performance and the unit performance of, if, if at least everybody's, you know, on board as a team, right. If yeah. you're completely toxic and you, and you kill that, that team vibe, um, you're going to have problems. Yeah. And I think too, like the, I've had leaders that like senior enlisted leaders that are the do as I say, not as I do types. And it's just like you, you burn your trust to the ground so that when you are in those situations where either we need to not necessarily you're in, you're in crisis mode, but you're in like, you're in a, we're getting ready to deploy and there there's very important things that have to happen or there's a ship's inspection going on, or there's like, you know, doing very significant events when you need somebody to like bite down on their mouthpiece and go forward. They're not really going to do that for you anymore. They don't trust you. They're not definitely not going to like go above and beyond or go any harder than they need to. Like you were saying earlier, they're just going to accomplish it. They're going to do the bare minimum required to not get yelled at. Um, but they're not going to crush it, right? They're not going to get after it and do the extra things and do it with enthusiasm and have a questioning attitude and like all the things we want out of our subordinates. It's like, you're not going to get those things and you're not going to get the trust that you need in situations where I got to ask something. I got to ask something of them that is above and beyond to get, get the mission done. And it's like, they're going to drag their feet or they're going to not be as invested as they would if, if they trusted you and believed in what you're saying and, and yeah, it, it, you're just gonna, it, like you said, it's going to get toxic. Trust is going to be completely gone. And without that, you can't get anybody to do anything. So. Yeah. And without their input, man, I think you, you totally scuttle like innovation and, yep. and just getting better, you know? Yep. So if you're, if you're not having that kind of discussion somewhere in the chain, uh, somewhere as you circle back, uh, it's just, you're never going to, there's no way to get better. Yeah. And just back up too. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause there's definitely times, uh, there's a lot of times with submarines where we, we say forceful backup a lot, like watch team backup and forceful backup. Like, like if I'm on watch and I'm the diving officer of the watch on a submarine, which is the most senior enlisted watch station on the entire boat. And I'm doing something and I've got like a, an E five guy that's sitting sticks, like a, a petty officer, second class, he's driving the submarine and I'm supervising that. But I give an order that's incorrect or I say something that is clearly wrong. It's like, I rely on them to say, Hey dive, actually you should probably do this and be like, what did I say? Or like, okay, Roger that. Like, let's do, you're right. Let's do that. You know, like I expect them to be able to do that. And it's like, if, if you don't have the trust and faith, it's like, they're not going to do that. They're going to let you fall on your face, dummy. Cause they want you to, they want <laughs> right. you to feel that pain. It's poetic justice at that point. 
Yeah, I'm gonna, so I'm going to read the definitions now. Uh, so leadership, the action of leading a gr- group of people or an organization. And then tradition, the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation or the fact of being passed on in this way. And then the quote at the bottom, leadership is a potent combination of strategy and character. But if you must be without one, be without strategy. And that's General Norman Schwarzkopf. I think I pronounced his name right. It's an interesting spot. Pretty good. I think I'm close. <laughs> uh, so what do the definitions mean to you? And I like, I hate that question because I feel like the definitions are kind of lackluster, but um, yeah, I mean, you can just add to them if you feel the need to add to them, but like, what do they mean to you? Well, I think your leadership definition is kind of funny because it includes like the word lead. lead yeah. In, uh, there's the a definition. lot of those. I don't know. I just think that's kind of odd. <laughs> it's not a really a definition. It's like they just use the word in a sentence, but yeah. Right. Uh, I think the Coast Guard is, I mean, it changes over, you know, every, every so often, but right. something about motivating a group of people toward a common goal kind of right. thing. I agree. Um, yeah, I don't think, I, I mean, I guess it's important to define it. I think once people have seen it and luckily the military, you know, has a lot of, uh, a lot of examples for people to, to follow and, and emulate. Right. Um, I think, you know, leadership when you see it. So yeah, for yeah, sure. Important. Yeah, important to define, but at the end of the day, like if you're showing it, if you're doing the right thing out there, uh, people are going to see it. They're going to note it, emulate the ones that you liked and the ones that got the mission done and yeah. you'll probably be doing okay. And leadership's, I feel like the type of term that it's like, it's almost Im- impossible to define. I mean, you can kind of like, you kind of like what the definition you used. I mean, it's, I feel like that's as close as you'll get to like a general, like, Hey, we're trying to go in the same direction and accomplish a thing. But yeah, it's like a, it's such a, such a broad term. Um, what about tradition? Give me the definition again. You guys use the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation, or the fact of being passed on in this way. I'm not sure why oh, that second part's even there. That was, that was deep. I, don't, I mean, I don't right. know if it means anything to me. I, I think we all kind of know what tradition is, even without yeah. the formal definition. Uh, I'd say similar to leadership, but I, I mean, it sounds, it sounds uh, spot on. Um, yeah. That's really what we're trying to do, right, is pass right. it on, usually in a formal way. I think tradition includes, like it says, a lot of uh, customs, you know. I think customs mm-hmm. is kind of important to understand, customs, courtesies, um, and then traditions, I feel, is like that that all-encompassing thing for everything that's not a custom. Yeah, you know, and I think we're that- like, good morning, chief, or hello, you know, you, yeah, you address yeah, chief, yeah. so senior enlisted by their, by their rank. I mean, that's a custom, right? Yeah. But um, a lot of tradition behind that. And I think the passing down of is, is something that like, I, I wish the Navy was better about it. Cause I don't think there's a great focus on it. Like I had this XO that he was like a he, history major in college. So like he had like a master's degree in his, in American history and something else. I don't know, but he, he knew everything there was to know about the submarine force and like a ton of stuff about the U S Navy and just U S history, Naval history. And, um, we started doing these, uh, it was called, um, God, what do we, it was like deep thoughts with the XO. That's what it was called. And we put it in the plan of the day. (laughs) So he'd be on the mess decks and he would like prepare a little like slide deck where he would tell the story of world war two submarine or some other event or some other thing that happened. That was like a big deal. And it got a pretty awesome response. At first, people weren't really into it. But then when they went, it was like you kind of got encouraged people to go. And it, it was amazing. Like he wasn't he wasn't the best orator in the world. Like he wasn't the greatest. Like he was like a history nerd. He's like if I you looked up history nerd in the, in the dictionary, you'd find my XO. Like he just he was that guy. So he wasn't like 
the best speaker in the world, really. And he wasn't like really passionately conveying the story, but it was like it was still just the just based on and it was kind of cool that it it was that way, because just based on him presenting it in the way that he did, which, again, was kind of like, I don't know, it was it was OK, like, but it wasn't like a passionate uh, speech or anything. It was still like really riveting to the people hearing it. He was like conveying the story just on its merits. And it was it was awesome. And people got a lot out of it. So I just thought like to myself where it's like you don't see that very often in the Navy, at least where people actually take the time to convey those types of of stories. And and that tradition is a big deal. Like there's a lot of pride. They just named the last, uh, I think, three uh, new Virginia attack submarines after World War II boats that are like the the boats, you know what I mean? Like Medal of Honor winning skippers, you know, where it's like, right. like you got the Wahoo and the Tang and it's like, yes. And it's like everybody had a visceral reaction when they did that, where they, everybody was universally just like pumped. They're like, I want to go to that boat because it's called the Tang. And it's just like, I, I wish, I wish that, they spent more time like conveying those types of things. Um, I think, I think the submarine force is good at it in general. I just wish the Navy as a whole was better about it. And I, and I think as a submarine force, we, we could be better about it. Like, I think we're pretty good at it. Like there's definitely a focus on it. And I think we spend more time on it than the, the rest of the Navy does at least like the greater, you know, fleet, but I, there's probably communities, uh, sub communities of the Navy that spend a bunch of time on it um, that I'm just not aware of. Cause I'm not in them, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you though. The, the Coast Guard kind of done the same thing. Like, um, they just started naming all their 154 foot fast response cutters after enlisted heroes. Nice. So, like, yeah, you know, just a total renewal and yeah, um, you know, learning about these guys and what conflicts they were in and what what crazy stuff they did, you know, yep. during their time. I love uh, cause it. Because I think yeah, previously it was all officers, right? So yeah, um, I think back in the Revenue Cutter Service and early Coast Guard, we had a mm. ton of officers doing, you know, really amazing, impactful things. And then you know, as the organization grew, officers kind of take that more strategic role higher up. And, yeah, uh, you know, it was left to the enlisted. So it's very cool to see that happen. And I think it's a huge opportunity for people to get out there, learn the history, and then promote it. Right, promote those for values sure. and ideals. Yeah. Yeah, no, I love it. And this will be interesting to discuss because I don't know how you guys do it. I assume it's modeled after us because the whole construct was modeled after the Navy as far as the Chiefs mess went. But I also imagine there's some variation. But uh, when we're talking about the charge book, have you ever seen the document, A Tradition of Change? Um, I don't think so. It's like a really robust research project done by the Navy History and Heritage Command. It was a master chief named uh, James Lucci. That is, he's now retired, but uh, he did this huge research project on the history of the chief season and the charge book and um, kind of how it, like where the season was born and how like chief's initiation and then how it's evolved over time and uh, the things that were done. And so um, it, there's a focus on it here. I have a link in there if you want to check it out after we're done recording, but um, in the outline. Um, but as far as the creation of a charge book, I'm, I'm curious to know, because again, if you guys do it, if you guys maintain charge books the same way we do, then the history would be the same because it was modeled after, after us, I think. But like, how do you view your charge book? Assuming you have one. And again, like just educate me real quick. <laughs> 
Yep. So, uh, you know, all new prospective chief petty officers have to get a, you know, fill out a charge book, complete it, get the required number of uh, signatures and, yeah. and words of wisdom from, from whoever. So uh, as far as I know, same as the Navy. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. What it, I mean, it's, you know, viewed with reverence, right? It's put yeah. in your, your hat box. If you got a space for it or displayed somewhere, you know, just kind of depends on what you have. Yeah. Yeah. This document's cool. I'm looking, looking at yeah. your, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty awesome. Right. And so I'm interested to know, like, cause the history of the charge book, when you read that that's document, hazing. that's hazing by the way. Oh yeah. Look at the cover of that thing. Oh yeah. Okay. No, it all, there's a lot of hazing in there as far as like the history went. Um, but yeah, it's like, the history of the charge book in and of itself, like the reason why it's called a charge book it, as explained in that document, a tradition of change is that they used to, and, and I've seen it done where they used to do a trial. Right. And so I've seen part of the chief season. I always wondered why was they would do like a, a an NJP, like a mock NJP on the selectees where they would have to like answer for their sins during the season. And I was just like, why are we doing this? Like, this is stupid. I don't see a training objective in here at all. And there, they, it was really confusing because it wasn't modeled strictly after what they used to do, which was the charge book was something that at any time a genuine chief would snatch out of their hands and write down an infraction of some kind, like the, you, you some sin throughout the season. The, and it was any, they, you know, they were just making stuff up out of thin air. They were just like, you looked at me wrong and this is the punishment or whatever. And they would write these charges in the book. And then during initiation, you would go to like trial and you would have to answer for those charges. Right. And they would, there would be some kind of punishment during the initiation process. And then presumably at the end, you were cleared of all charges and you were pinned as a chief and it was over. And so it wasn't a keepsake. And a lot of it, I mean, there's some really nasty stuff that happened to those books. So a lot of times, I mean, they had like vomit and blood on them. So people would just throw them away um, because they were just, they, there was no sentimental value and it wasn't something that they built a lot of time, effort and, and charges as we now view them into, right. Where it's, it's a bunch of like leadership wisdom and you keep it generally keep a journal in there of your experiences and thoughts throughout the season. And there's a lot of other really cool stuff that you put in there. And so it becomes a keepsake. It becomes a really important thing. So yeah, I'm just interested to I'd, like. I say, I'd say we balance the two. Uh, no comment on what happens during you know, the, <laughs> the actual initiation, but I yeah. think uh, I think everything that you just described, and then also the way I described it as being a keepsake, I think there's a healthy balance for all of that in the Coast Guard. Right, and I imagine it's matured to a point that ours has now, where it's it's all linked to a training objective of some kind, and it's all like focused on the positive development of an enlisted leader. Is that accurate without, you know, divulging details? Dramatic. Yeah, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we'll talk about it offline. All right. Um, no, I, I mean, I, to, to answer, I don't think, so I've seen CPO 365. Yeah. Um, and you guys have like a formal, you know, Addy designed instructional system that created it. I do not think the Coast Guard has reached that level. Okay. Uh, that said, I think there's a lot of value in what they do do. Okay. And yeah, we'll talk about details after we're not recording, but yeah, they, yeah. and they, it's matured into what's called, uh, it's called, it's called laying the keel and sailor 360 now. And then you have the initiation season. So it's like, you know, it keeps morphing, uh, into new iterations as it matures. But, um, but yeah, so the, Based on what you've learned thus far, why do you think the charge book is important? And I think we've covered that. That's more directed at the selectees as like, as you go throughout the season, they're going to 
get be taught about that. And so like that, that document, a tradition of change. I, I print that out every season and spiral it up at the print shop in color. And I distribute it to every single selectee. And I said, nice. and I'm like, digest this document. And then we will talk about it because there's so much in there that it's like, you need to know where you came from. And this document is so good at going through the, the maturation of and, and understanding where some of these things come from. And a lot of it is negative, but there's a lot of lessons to be had as far as like how we've gotten to the point that we are now, why the things have changed the way that they have and how, how we've gotten better as a result, because a lot of the stuff, it wasn't a healthy tradition and it wasn't based, it wasn't rooted in heritage. It was just hazing. Like There was just like, <laughs> there was just blind, like shenanigans and tomfoolery. It was not, it didn't come from anywhere. They like robbed the certain things from like the crossing line ceremony and all these other things where they, it was, it all just, it was a, it was a boondoggle. Like it was just, they were just being crazy and drinking and, and like doing debauchery. And then it evolved into what it is now. It's the good old days. Yeah, man. It's, (laughs) it's just, uh, it, but it has, it has evolved in a lot of ways and I think for the better, but, uh, just that document. I I think it's still fun. I think there's still a lot of potential to make it, make it fun and make it uh, impactful for a lot of different ways. Right. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, the biggest thing I take out of the whole thing, right. Is that you, you realize that you've joined this network of like-minded kind of people that are focused on the success of the organization. I mean, at the Mm. end of the day, that's, you know, everybody's lives are tied to this service, right? Like we're all tied to this service intimately for, for two decades potentially, right. Or more. Um, so I, I think that's, you know, you get access to that network and that's really the big lesson that I got out of uh, the Coast Guard version. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to just to kind of stitch this, this thread up as there's, I'm going to read the slide. It's called our charge book. So what it's not a congratulatory book, nor a book for unprofessional comments. What it is, the charge book is perhaps the singularly most important piece of initiation. The time honored tradition of passing knowledge to our relief through the charge book has been around for many years is one of our primary tools and should be at the forefront of day-to-day training and to network chief petty officers around the world and chiefs past and present. Charges in our charge book should enable a sit-down conversation between the chief and the selectee relating to effective leadership, expectations, responsibilities, and learning experiences. So what do you think about that? Yeah, it's, I'd say like there's a lot of that in there. There's a lot of there's a lot of the things that it says that it's not as well. I think yeah, got, a little. You got people that, that maintain the old tradi- you know, maintain some of those old traditions. But, yeah. Um, I've you know I've I've seen and had snatched charge books and had things written down in it and then had to answer for it, answer for yeah. it later. Um, I've had a lot of like great mentors that wrote these you know insanely awesome inspirational actionable, uh, words of wisdom. Yeah. Um, and then I've had ones that were just like, not so great. I don't, you yeah. know, it's, it all depends on what people put into it. I think yeah. there's so many individuals involved. You, you really yeah. can't come up you're with a consistent. Yeah. You're going to get yeah. a wide variety. Cause I, I, for sure, I haven't, there's very, very little, if any, um, shenanigans anymore, as far as like, especially with a charge book, everybody views it as like this inviolate document. Like you're not going to, like mess with somebody's charge book but like the, i mean the, the worst you'd see is like if they leave it laying around you kind of like take it hostage because they didn't they didn't treat it with that reverence but 
as far as like the the content that goes into it, yeah, I've for sure had like back back when I went through, it was a lot different. Because uh, I'm going on ten years now that I that I've been a chief, so it's like it's obviously changed over a decade. But uh, it's like there was a lot of perfunctory, like go get charges, go get charges, go get charges, trying to get us. Uh, it was almost a focus on numbers or something. And the point was to get us exposed to a wide variety of enlisted leaders and, and pull all those perspectives together to get like a big cross section and all the, of, of different ideas and, and kind of get your mind going like, Oh, okay. I need to think about this or I need to learn. I, Oh, I learned something cool from that. Okay, cool. But a lot of times what you get is like, you get a charge from somebody that's like, three sentences and it's just this like cookie cutter thing that they write in everybody's book and I didn't get anything out of it. And they're just signing it because they're supposed to. And it's like, ah, you could have just not like, I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't get anything out of that. And it's like, and for me, not that there's, n- I can't learn from everyone because I, over time I've learned that that's the case, but they were just like, you would just rant people, random people are grabbing your books. And for me, I always got more out of the sit down discussions with people that knew me and, and would sit down and have a frank discussion about what I need to focus on. Like, where can you be better and what are your strengths? And here's what you do. Well, here's what you don't. Here's what, here's some lessons I learned very in the, in a very similar vein where like I used to have that weak area and here's what I did and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and I, I threw in there like one, I piggyback on, you know, the people that were most impactful, uh, with their charges and with those sit down discussions. Mm-hmm. But then I also think I got a lot of those like three sentence ones, three sentence ones. But, yeah. um, you know, I ended up getting sit, to sit down with somebody that, you know, I know concept of their world of work. Right. And now I've got a name and a contact. Yep. If, if the radio breaks on the boat and I need to call somebody to get it fixed because the junior guys aren't doing their job, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. We got a boat sitting at the dock. So that's true. It, I mean, it, it didn't, it, you know, the charges themselves, the charge book, it's a, it's a keepsake. It's, it's cool to have, I think the process to get to it is really mm-hmm. what, what these days we're trying to yeah. memorialize, right? That you yeah. can like, don't sit down, don't stay idle, get out there, meet your peers. For sure. You guys are the ones that are going to solve problems. Right. And that was what I understood at, at like them pushing us to get those charges in volume was that like you're learning the network, like you're figuring out where you can go, who you can talk to, like how to do it um, that you can, in fact, just like I can walk into the mess on any submarine or ship in the Navy and ask for help. And I know I'm going to get it. You know what I mean? Like they're, I'm going to walk in there and I'm one of them. I'm not like, it's not, Oh, you're not from this ship. So get out of here. Like, no, it's not like that at all. Like people start falling all over themselves to help you. So that, yeah, that's obviously an extremely valuable thing. We have arrived at the summary and I'm going to read what's on the summary slide. So it just says, always remember during the course of initiation, you've been caused to humbly accept challenge and face adversity. This you've accomplished with rare, good grace. Pointless as some of these challenges may have seemed, there were valid time-honored reasons behind each pointed barb. Your faith in the fellowship of chief petty officers was necessary to overcome these hurdles. The goal was to instill in you that trust is inherent with donning the uniform of a chief. So just reiterating that excerpt from the creed. Um, just like for me, like leadership <laughs> as a topic was like, I just, I kind of laughed to myself when I saw it because I was just like, are, are we talking about like mechanisms of deck plate leadership as we call it? Um, Cause I, like when you say leadership, I've got over 150 podcasts on leadership and I haven't even scratched the surface. So it's just like, how do you define that? How do you have a two hour conversation and capture that for a brand new chief? And so it's like, 
I don't know. Like, I think you're just kind of, you're broaching the topic essentially. And then tradition, especially like we talked about it already, but like heritage and tradition for me are such a huge thing that I think are underutilized, like a leadership tool and a motivator for junior sailors. Like, it's just like, it's so easy to get people gassed up. And it's just like, and I, I have, I tell this story about when I was an instructor in, in, at the A school also, I, I came in the building one day and we were out, we had this thing where, cause we we're in a, a base with uh, all the services, except for the Coast Guard. There were some Coast Guard instructors at an advanced culinary school. That was about it. But every other service did their food service school there. And then there was just like, it was an army base. There's a ton of soldiers there. And then there were some other kind of randomly, dispersed other service uh, schools and stuff like that. And so you'd be marching up and down because it was like AIT for the army. So that's their a school. And there, so there's a lot of initial session training happening. So everybody's marching everywhere they go cadence, all that stuff. And so we had this pride based thing where we would just absolutely crush everyone at cadence. Cause nobody, the army wasn't very good at it. The air force wasn't allowed to do it for some reason. And then I think they got the privilege reinstated like right before I left, but they could march though. Jesus. Um, and then the, uh, Marines would, they were such a small element there that they didn't really do a lot of marching. They would kind of like walk in files on the sidewalk, but. So we would just like compete with uh, the Air Force and the Army is with marching cadence. So I come in the building one day and everybody knows like I have, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of this stuff. And like I'm really passionate about them crushing everybody with their cadence. Like if we walk by because the Army elements were always way longer, like their columns were like 150, 200 soldiers. And we'd have like 30 to 50 students unless we had the like our entire student population was like 150 students. And the army, like, I mean, they had thousands. So we'd go by this big army column and I was, I'd be screaming at the students. Like if I hear a single soldier, I'm going to like, I'm going to lose it. And just like trying to get them motivated to like drown out the army cadence. And uh, we, I got back to the building one day and, and came in and it was like essentially a final formation before everybody went back to the barracks for the end of the day of instruction and everything. And, uh, one of the instructors was like, yeah, we're having a hard time getting motivated today, uh, senior. I was like, really? And so I started and something was, something was going on. I was in a, in the perfect mental headspace to just go on this really passionate rant about, cause it was like, there was a lot of students that would come to our schoolhouse that were, they didn't join the Navy to be a cook. And for somehow they got indoctrinated into the concept of, which is a pretty, prevalent opinion by a lot of people is that being a cook in the Navy is like the lowest of the low, as far as like specialties goes. Like it's like where rejects from other schools go. Like if they can't pass a, a technical school, uh, then they're just ship them to something that has a lower ASVAB score required. You know what I mean? And cooks are 40, $40,000 bonuses. <laughs> I know. Skirt, right. right? Yeah, I'm just gonna throw yeah. That out there. I know. Um, and so when you're not eating, it becomes very important. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, the, a lot of the students were kind of just like not motivated down in the dumps or just like, didn't want to be there. They got sent there because they didn't, didn't meet the requirements of their previous school or they didn't get enough high enough ASVAB score or whatever other reason that forced them there. And so there's very few that came there voluntarily. So I got, I had them all together and I just snapped for whatever reason that day. I just lost it. I had the, stu- the uh, instructors formed up there as well. And then I had the students and I just went on this rant about like the stuff I mentioned earlier. Like we have all these Navy cross recipients and it wasn't for making good eggs. You know, we have all these medal of honor winners and it wasn't for, for making lunch. Well, you know, it was just like, we have 
all this heritage, like the first mention of the term chief in relation to rate or rank was Jacob Wasby, who was a ship's cook that served with John Paul Jones on the USS Alfred. It's a little piece of chief's trivia that every chief in the Navy knows every single one of them. So I'm just like, if you ever got a chief that's giving you a hard time about being a cook and be like, Oh, Hey, was, who was the first chief then mention of the, for me? Like, who was that? Boom. <laughs> what did he do for a living? <laughs> and so I'm just like, I, there's, and, and I just went on this really passionate rant about all those things, bringing up Leonard Harmon and William Pinckney and Dory Miller and all those things. And, um, and just like, like you're part of that story now, what a privilege it was to be in, like standing in those, in, in that path and, and like following in those footsteps and all those things. So I just went on this really passionate rant. Everybody's like super gassed up. It, it went over really well. <laughs> Students were pumped awesome. and then they marched back and were super motivated. But then I had the instructors walk up to me after and be like, I didn't know 99% of what you just said. Like that's insane to me. And they, everybody knows who Dory Miller is. And that's usually where it ends. You know what I mean? And we have ships named after Leonard Harmon and William Pinckney that are commissioned right now. And like you, n- almost no one could tell you their story off the top of their head. Everybody knows Dory Miller because the movie and like, and it was just a really famous case. And like, if you know anything about the history of that, like it was made famous because there was a struggle, like the essentially the roots of the civil rights movement were forming where the NAACP was fighting the Navy for uh, integration of like all specialties instead of just uh, officer stewards. It was effectively like almost like a servant rating in the Navy. Uh, and that was all that they would enlist African-Americans to do. And so they were in, in that fight. And so when Pearl Harbor happened, Dory Miller became like the, oh, see, no, they can do more because he was manning an aircraft gun shooting down airplanes so like clearly we have worth in other areas and so it just became part of their cause and so it got a ton of exposure um just everyone's aware the audio just changed the audio just changed because the zoom call decided to eat itself (laughs) right as i was finishing so i apologize for that and to phil for the call dropping um but i'm really really appreciative uh to him for doing it I love talking to him and it was really cool for me and interesting for me to be able to compare and contrast the differences between the Chiefs season uh, stuff, the, the the training that we do with what the Coast Guard does. Uh, and I was really happy to be able to do that with him. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, just to recap really quickly going to reread the excerpt from the creed first so during the course of initiation you have been caused to humbly accept challenge and face adversity this you have accomplished with rare good grace pointless as some of these challenges may have seemed there were valid time-honored reasons behind each pointed barb your faith in the fellowship of chief petty officers was necessary to overcome these hurdles the goal was to instill in you that trust is inherent with the donning of the uniform of the chief I I just like recapping that uh, so that we can kind of remember what what we were focused on for this lesson. But when we're talking about leadership and tradition uh, in particular, because I I split these episodes into two, it was hard for me to to even tackle leadership in and of itself, which I kind of mentioned. It's such a broad topic that it's it's like it's impossible to cover it in one podcast but i think we got as close as we could and i think that in that and the overarching 
just idea that, I mean, there's 150 podcasts here for you to listen to, if you, to focus on leadership in and of itself and all of the crazy facets th- that spring off of that in every possible direction. Um, but tradition as well, I, I'm a big fan of us focusing on tradition. I'm a big fan of using tradition as a leadership tool, as we discussed. And I think it's really, really important that whatever warfare community you're in, whatever sub category of the Navy, whether it's your rating or, or whatever special thing that you do with your time as, as part of this organization, you need to learn the heritage behind that. And it's there. It might be obscure and it might be hard to find, but it, it exists. And I highly, highly encourage you to do that research so that you can then pass that on to the new generation, not just so that they're aware of it and so that they can use it as a leadership tool, but so that they understand the footprints that they're they're following in right they understand the story that they're now a part of there's a lot of ownership in that there's a lot of pride in that it's the reason you saw the backlash you did during rating modernization is people identify with the things that are a part of their their rating right or their specialty or whatever like try to take submarine dolphins away like the whole world would burn down (laughs) so it's just like there's a there's a emotional investment in and attachment to those things it's part of who we are and it's very important that you understand that so you can relay those things on to the next generation with that, if you need anything from us, as always, hit us up, don't give up the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us, don't give up the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram or Reddit at DGS Podcast, uh, or get on the sub and engage with us. Please reach out uh, with feedback, questions, comments, concerns. Always, always, always open to all of those things and stand by to help if needed. And then also, if you would, like, share, subscribe, review on social media and podcast platforms. It helps get the word out, especially in the case of these Teaching the Creed podcasts. I want to make sure that this gets as far and wide as it possibly can so that people know the tools available. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship. Thank you.